Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I'm very excited because it's one of my favorite places to visit to bring you the joy of Tubby Robot and one of its co-owners, Chris McGuire, onto Food Farms and Chefs. Chris, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I mean, I know that I'm one of your familiar, like, I, especially when I was, you know, in Roxborough very often um, and Maniunk, you you are obviously familiar with my face. Whether or not you remember my, my, my order that I usually, my go-to order is another thing entirely, but I know that you change up your flavors all the time. But before I jump ahead, I know you weren't initially in the culinary world. You had a previous uh, career. So how do you... What were you doing before and how did you get into owning and running Tubby Robot? Yeah, before this, I did something completely different. I was a web developer. Uh, I worked on a, a number of websites. Um, so I wrote a lot of code, um, did some entrepreneurship in the e-commerce world. And uh, this was a pretty hard left turn. Uh, but I basically came across this because I came to a point where it's like, all right, I've saved up a bunch of money. I can kind of do whatever I want with my life. What do I want to do with my life? And um it had to be something. I was like, well, it's going to be my two favorite things are ice cream and video games. <laughs> so it's either going to be like a video game through my ice cream parlor or an ice cream themed game, video game themed video game. So this is what we ended up doing. And and by we, I want to mention that your co-owner is uh, Steve Wright Jr. So I, I know that's who you're referencing. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've been friends with him since sixth grade. Uh, we, we went to public school together in Philly, at a, and yeah, we, we've known each other ever since. Which is a very long history. Um, and ice cream itself has a very long history in the country, but I know Gene um, has a love of one particular brand that um, that teaches people how to make ice cream. Um, so he knows a little bit more about the ins and outs of the whole process. So I don't know if he wants to jump in and, you know, you guys can and go toe to toe with, uh, how, how you came about creating the flavors and learning. Certainly. Well, sure. I mean, obviously, you know, everyone has that desire. I'm going to make ice cream and I, you know, we maybe made it in elementary school with an old fashioned hand crank system. And it's a very simple thing. And it is far from a very simple thing. Yeah. Uh, ice cream is an extremely complex thing. And, you know, having gone through the, the program at Penn state and knowing that um, the ice cream class, and then as well as now being in an establishment where we make our own ice cream and doing all that, it is a, you know, really intense process and also a very difficult process to secure really great quality ingredients for because just like what you did in the computer world you know if you put garbage in you get garbage out and ice cream you have to put quality in to get quality out um so you know what was your transition from you know, coming out of the, the computer world and, and, and a lot of similarities, I guess, in, in the mindset, uh, because it really is a science and a, and a process to, you know, 
being in the ice cream world. Well, yeah, like you said, like there's so many things to tweak and so many things to learn. And that really uh, appealed to me because uh, really the gateway is a very dumb story. But um, people knew that I really liked ice cream just as a avid consumer of it. Uh, so for my wedding, we got two ice cream makers um, and, and one was just like a frozen bowl thing. And the other was like this, this thing you're supposed to roll around. And um, we, you know, we didn't use them for months. So I was like, okay, cool. We got married. Life is busy. And then one day my wife took out one of the ice cream makers. She's like, all right, we're going to try to make some ice cream. And we're like, okay, we try, we made some recipe and it came out and it was awful. <laughs> it was really bad. And I was like, oh, my God, this sucks. I need to learn more and keep tweaking it. And kind of like every night just kept pounding away, tweaking the recipe, changing how we were doing, and um, eventually got to something that we were proud to, like, give to people. Well, and I know one of the, you know, everybody has a gimmick. I mean, the Penn State, the Creamery, obviously, has ice cream with a just extraordinary fat content that – you know, like anything, the more fat you add, the more enjoyable it's going to be oftentimes. Um, but you really also have the ability to make some incredible ice creams and, and vegan products and things like that without all that fat content. So you were able to skip a lot of the trends or or the, you know, little cheats that some places do. Um, and get into that. So you really had to understand the science. Did you go and take a class online or do any of that? Yes. Uh, really, the only formal instruction I've ever had in it, me and Steve, uh, we went to take a seminar uh, from this gentleman named Malcolm Stogo, um, who is considered one of, uh, I guess, the forefathers of American ice cream. Uh, he's uh, His claim to fame, at least as he puts it, he is the inventor of cookies and cream as a flavor. Uh, and he's... Uh, octogenarian he gives seminars in his basement in north new jersey uh so so we shipped up there for a two-day seminar and uh we we learned a ton it was it was amazing like for just two days it felt like weeks it was great <laughs> i will say that it's it's paid off because every time that i go there and, and indulge in one of your ice creams like on top of the fact that it's just that silky smooth um, consistency, it's also that you guys really just put a love into, like, what flavors you create. So um, who comes up with the? I mean, because I know that you both probably do, but who comes up with, like, the majority of the flavor combos? Well, uh, yeah, a lot of it is it, – it's a team effort for sure. Um, there's a couple that, like – this is like Steve's flavor and like it's really good and like we're not going to change it. It's Steve's. Um, but a lot of it, like I actually like a simpler flavor. Uh, our, our whole thing at, at Tubby Robot is we love Sundays because I feel like in a Sunday you can could provide not only different flavors, but different textures and different um, temperatures in a way that you can't. Like when you make something into ice cream, it's all the same temperature, right? <laughs> it's all frozen. Uh, but you add that with like a gooey brownie or a crispy waffle and gooey hot fudge or homemade caramel sauce like that's where i think magic happens so i like to start with like we love the basics i love you know the, your vanillas your chocolates your mint chocolate chip is my perennial like kind of favorite growing up uh cookies and cream is one because of our instruction from malcolm like we consider that our signature flavor like cookies and cream all the time no one <laughs> no matter what um but there's, there's, a bunch has actually been from requests from um our our patrons and uh, they'll be like you know what 
I really wish you guys did X. And and one of them was butter pecan. I'm making it right now, actually. <laughs> it, it's on in, in the background. Uh, but butter pecan was not, I never liked. Like, I was never, I'm never a big nut guy. Um, so I was like, all right, we'll try it out. And I, I tried a couple recipes and I tweaked them. And I was like, I got to a thing that I actually really like. Mm. And I'm like, wait, wait, I think I like this ice cream after all. Um, it, it, it's kind of a pain in the butt to make, but man, it's worth it. It comes out, um, just right. So yeah, it, it's amazing. Like trying to keep myself open to the idea of new things, even things that I've turned away in the past, going back to them and revisiting them. Like if you put a different spin on it and use, like Gene was saying, like the right ingredients, like it makes a big difference. Yeah. And now I know that you, um, you normally work with purveyors that are hyper local, um, because you want the freshest ingredients. But uh, do you ever collaborate with any of the restaurants that are surrounding you in Maniunk? We do. Um, right now, our newest collaborator is also, I think, the newest restaurant on Main Street, uh, this Italian restaurant called Mia Ragazza. Uh, they are, we're friends with the owners, and uh, they're, they're now doing an affogato with our sea salt caramel ice cream. So, um, yeah, they take a scoop of sea salt caramel and put cappuccino on it and uh, apparently it's going pretty well because they're getting a bucket every week a three gallon bucket so that's a, that's a lot of scoops <laughs> that is a lot of scoops and for okay for our listeners out there i am an avid fan of tubby robot i've been there numerous times i mean there's i went i go there every time i go into maniunk because it's just so good my normal signature like flavored to order is your coconut, your chocolate coconut when it's available. Um, summertime would be the lavender or vanilla, but I had your sea salt caramel. Um, I was like, this is my new favorite flavor ever. <laughs> so, uh, Gene, what's, what's one of your favorite flavors? So it's funny you say that because he has one going on in the back right now. I too love simple flavors, but you know, vanilla chocolate is, yeah, you know, I like things that are very focused on a particular ingredient. So something like butter pecan, something like a pistachio. Um, I'm a huge pistachio fan. Um, but butter pecan to me, uh, you know, the custard has to be just perfect. The, you know, nuts, the roasting of the nuts, every ingredient. I mean, there's only, you know, really the custard and the, and the pecans has to be at their finest to make it perfect. Uh, otherwise, it is just such a commercial uh, yuck product. So if somebody has butter pecans and it's fabulous, I can walk in and say this place knows what they're doing. Awesome. Yeah, I, I will, yeah, we'll have to have you by to, to try ours because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty – it's one I, I'm proud of. So I, I hopefully it would live up to your standard. <laughs> <laughs> and now how long is the process to, to make your ice creams? Because I know that you, you're you constantly like switching it up and like offering different flavors. Um, but you're, you know, you're not like a huge ice cream shop. You're like a small like mom and pop kind of shop that's on Maniunk and um, – so I'm just wondering, like, how often do you switch up your flavors and how how many times do you go through, like, uh, you know, gallon or whatnot of ice cream? Yeah, we're, we're pretty tiny. Um, but, you know, I would say on average, a, on a, any given week, we'll go through something like 100 gallons a week. Um, and in the summer, though, we'll go through more like 160, uh, the, the spring, the, the heavy 
160 gallons. And that, um, you know, becomes a logistical challenge because we are pretty tiny. <laughs> uh, but, but in terms of like when we switch stuff out, there's not really a set schedule, except for, you know, some of the seasonal stuff, obviously, like uh, the lavender honey, that's we, we consider that a spring flavor, like, oh, the flowers are coming up, eat some lavender. Uh, but but then the, the other stuff like blueberries we do in the summer when blueberries are fresh um we do the peach only when peaches are, are ripe and a lot of people get get angry like in june they'll be like where's the peach ice cream in summer i'm like <laughs> the peaches aren't ready yet and usually they're not ready until july uh so so they got to wait a little bit longer for that but the yeah the the, the peach is really good um but yeah so the, a lot of it has to do with the seasonality of the fruits uh summer has a lot more fruits available um, but I, I like to do like more cozy things like the butter pecan right now we're doing in the winter. Uh, we have a, a peppermint white chocolate we're doing for Christmas. We kind of think because it's used involves like crushed candy cane and white chocolate. So we it makes us think of the holidays. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, well, it's, funny, it's funny you say that because my first foray into making ice cream at home many years ago was exactly that a decadent white custard with crust candy cane and a little bit of white chocolate oh this would go you know we we have this at other places and you know variations of this and you know can you just crush up some candy canes and you you know got out the the rolling pin and then the mortar and pestle and and uh crushed up some candy canes and you know, to me, I mean, obviously, as you know, it's all about that custard, what you're putting in there um, and then finding the, the ingredients for that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, as soon as you said that, I'm like, OK, I might have to be taking a trip out this week. <laughs> yeah. No, so the, the the peppermint white chocolate, I'm glad to hear that because, like, I don't see it a lot. But, yeah, people people love that. And um, it's funny, like when you do small scale, like, yeah, we we had. We were using the mortar and pestle, uh, mortar and pestle to to crunch it up, but when you're doing like a six gallon batch, that gets pretty old pretty fast. So we were like, how can we speed this up? And now like we totally cheat and we put it into a food processor, <laughs> and it makes the worst noise in the world. Like if you've never put a pepper and stick into a food processor, it sounds like death, but <laughs> it makes delicious dust. It's it it, it works out. I mean, can you break it down ahead of time with like a hammer or something and like a Ziploc baggie and pour it in? <laughs> Well, see, we've done that, and then I break the Ziploc bag, and uh, it's a mess. Yeah. It's like, well, just I can deal with the horrible noise for a couple pulses. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it, the thing is, is I appreciate what you do and what you put you put into uh, creating these ice creams, and Gene will too once he uh, comes to visit. Because I mean, I it just it's so powerful the flavors that you put in, um, but you also. You know, in the last few moments that we have with you, um, I want to mention the fact that you you work with your community, too, because Maniunk.com, like, I know that, you know, Maniunk is very involved and and lifts the, their businesses up and kind of highlights them all the time. But, you know, I, I, I love that you give back and work with the community. Like, I know that um, the Girl Scout troops, you usually work with uh, Girl Scouts and create different recipes when that comes around, Girl Scout cookies. Um, yeah. So, so what, what coming up, um, because you are year-round, what coming up do you have next, like, that you're involving yourselves with? Well, I, I guess the next big thing, which we haven't formally announced yet, but sneak preview, uh, we're going to be sponsoring and I'm going to be running uh, with with help some, from some other people, a uh, Super Smash Brothers tournament on Venice Island. Uh, so it's going to be a video game tournament um, that uh, we're, we're going to have 
open to uh, all ages, which should be a lot of fun. And the, the finals are going to be on the stage of the Venice Island Performing Arts Center, which should be pretty cool. Um, so that, that ties into <laughs> like the gaming stuff. Uh, but but after that, there's going to be um, the the uh, Founders Freeze Out, which is an awesome event that we do in February. All A lot of the places uh, host uh, ice carvings. So uh, they, they have people out with chainsaws, cutting things in like the, the shape of the Lucky's logo, uh, lots of stuff like that. Um, and they do a chowder crawl, which we don't participate in because I don't um, make a chowder. <laughs> but, uh, I would hope we, we not. Usually, <laughs> no, we usually have a, a good a good group of people coming by for that event. Yeah. Which is which is lovely. And um, so for our listeners out there that are looking to um, try out your your ice creams to just look up information where can they find more about you and more about um your ice creams and and maybe an event calendar the, the best place to go would be tubbyrobot.com uh that's our website that i crafted with hand loving care just like everything else but um it's, it's got an old school blog on it so you can see everything that's coming up um it also has a list of what we're serving at the moment uh in terms of flavors and sundays and it has shows what game we're playing at the shop because so, every week we have a new classic arcade game uh so that's probably the best place to go tubbyrobot.com all right well chris thank you so much for joining us on food farms and chefs uh, thank you so much for having both of you this is wonderful and it was and i uh, i'm sure gene gene also enjoyed it too I did very much. I'm looking forward to coming out and trying some. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we will be right back after this short break. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or arpolicus at gmail.com. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I'm very honored to have the executive chef of Panorama Wine Bar, Anthony DeSabato. But welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, Anthony, Panorama, certainly, I don't know if there's any restaurant that is as much a staple of the city of Philadelphia anymore as Panorama. You know, in years past, we had other great you know, restaurants in the area. We had, you know, back for years and bookbinders and, you know, and everybody's gone kind of the wayside and Panorama still, you know, is that staple down there, uh, you know, right in old city and, and wonderful. You know, one of the, the first things that I want to point out is that Panorama, aside from being an amazing, an amazing restaurant, with a hotel or options uh, as part of it, has one of the largest cuvées in the world. So for our listeners, if you could explain to them what a cuvée is and why that is so important in what you're serving and how it blends well with wine and what that whole experience is. So basically, it's a we have 120 bottles on tap. So it's a nitrous nitrous provided. It's basically like the same as a beer system, but it's a nitrogen instead of a CO2. So you put a bottle on there, it pretty much extends the life of the bottle, probably depending on the wine, Bordeaux is a little less than everything else, but for like a Cabernet, you can get another, probably about a week out of it sitting on the tap. And it gives customers a chance to, we do a, we do wine flights here. So you get a, th a two and a half to three ounce pour. So you're able to try multiple types of wine rather than having to buy a bottle or a full glass. You're able to see what you like, if you, what you don't like, 
try new things, things you've never heard of. We have wines from all over the world, new world, old world. Uh, I mean, it's some some great choices on the list. That is one of the, the things that when I was delving into the world of wine and getting my feet wet, I used to go to Panorama all the time and get a myriad of different flights and, and you had, you know, such a collection of different flights to try at, you know, you would go to, they would constantly be changing. And it was just a, what a, an incredible opportunity to try wines in a very comfortable setting. And you could pair that with what is some of the best food in the city of Philadelphia right. and just simply amazing Italian food. Um, and I know that, you know, the bar itself makes recommendations for the food as well. Your menu is ever changing. Um, so where do you draw your influence from? What is your background uh, as an executive chef? Was it family growing up? Uh, how did you, you know, really delve into and, and become the Italian chef that you are? A lot of it, a lot of it stems from just Sundays with my grandfather and family. Sunday dinners were a big thing. They still are in my life. Uh, a lot of my family's from South Philadelphia. That's where I started my career at. Worked at a lot of restaurants down there, BYOBs throughout the city. You know, it's just, it's in a sense, comfort food, but we do it too. We bring it up a little bit in scale and kind of make it more modern and more center plate and more uh, photo aesthetic, where it's not just the the gravy and the, you know, that you grew up with. We try to kind of class it up a little bit, but it's a lot of stuff that my owner's from uh, from Naples, so it's a lot of recipes that, that he grew up with that his, his father they used to cook and all. So it's, you know, it all comes back to family. Oh yeah. You're, you're far more than just, you know, a pasta and gravy restaurant. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. your menu is, is very intense and features everything from, you know, handmade tortellinis and broth to, you know, classic, uh, zupas to, you know, all the way into desserts. But, you know, growing up in South Philadelphia, you obviously, took on learning lessons quite well because you're not your menu is not just one particular region of of italy like many households grow up on so you really had to go out and venture and learn a little bit more about the different regions because for you know people who don't know italy you know depending on whether you're in the north or south the the foods are in central the foods are so different um not even just the region you can go you can go walk, go to a town in Italy and go a block away from another restaurant, and it's the same dish done a, a slight different way, and it could blow it out of the water. And it's just that one little, one little touch or one little twist to it that just makes it. The you build on top of it. So that being said, when you came on board, and Panorama has been around a long time, so it's gone in through a few executive chefs through its career. What are the little touches that you brought in? What were the signatures that you added to the menu? Just you know, small tweaks here and there. I mean, the menu, the menu that I, that I, I I've been here about a year. It'll be a year next week. Uh, the menu that the previous chef had was was wonderful. It's a, it's very popular with with our customers. So I, I didn't want to change a lot of things. I kind of wanted to just you know put a little touch here and there, small things you know, just to put my kind of like my mark on it a little bit. Well, that is you know when I talk about those establishments in the city of Philadelphia, and I throw out Beckbinders and the Beck and, and places like that. You know what Panorama is, is to me is that celebration, that life moment, those those great experiences where you know what I have to go because everything is going to be perfect, and that's what you know to me Panorama is. It's 
you know, the table service, it's the wine selection, it's the food, it's the dessert, it's the ambience. You know, if you happen to get up, you know, on the second floor and, you know, the, the, still the stone and brick walls that are up there and, and everything like that. And one of the things that people don't realize that you do a lot of is you do a lot of catering. You have a lot of small rooms up, you know, that are available for events. I've been up there and I've done numerous team building activities, uh, you know, there as well, where we had groups of 30 or 40 in doing different things in corporate meetings and all. And that's a whole big part of your world. But those life moments. So yes, you know, having that menu that everybody's comfortable with is is a great is a great thing. If you're going to what what is your items that you personally, if you're going to sit down and have dinner, that you just say, you know what, this is what I'm having tonight. Like after a night of work, or if I'm treating myself. If you're treating yourself, I would probably be a nice steak and a good ribeye or a good New York strip. But most and of the time, it's literally a bowl of cereal. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, the typical or Wawa. Wawa makes a great sandwich, and it's you know right. It's right, right. I I always love there's a, there's a great Anthony Bourdain, uh, you know, clip where you know it's the cooks you know sitting on milk crates around the trash can eating dinner, yep. and you know that's the reality of a kitchen where everybody thinks that you know we sit down to white tablecloth dinners and. You know, we have this phenomenal food every night. It's like, no, whatever we can shove in our mouth at, you know, yeah, whatever time. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's like we have the worst diets in the entire world because, you know, we have, you know, very limited time. We have to put something in ourselves and that's it, you know. And if we're lucky, we can pick a couple scraps through the course of the night. But, you know, I digress. And, and I, I that that two minute conversation there tells me everything I need to know about you um, because we shared many of the common roots. So, you know, it's one it's a it's a thing in itself. Yeah. Well, um, and you were talking about like staple restaurants in the city. I, I started at the saloon in South Philadelphia. So I compare Panorama, La Familia, and the Saloon is probably three as three of the greatest restaurants in this city that are still that are still here, still thriving. They've been around for forty plus years, and it's literally you go there and you don't have to worry about a thing. To the it's it's not like going to Jean Georges where there it's it's a fifteen course meal. You're eating, you're you're leaving happy, you're leaving full, and you're leaving with a great experience. And you know what? You did hit that trifecta of great Italian <laughs> restaurants and, and great stable places where every time you go, you're going to have the amazing meal. And, you know, you can go to places like Fork. You can go to some of the new upcoming restaurants and try and experience. But if you want that. And, and they're and all I, amazing. Yep. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're phenomenal restaurants. But it's just, you know, some things get lost in translation sometimes when it comes to pleasing a customer, I think, where it's more like it's, yeah, we want to put out a beautiful product, but it's like. Sometimes it's, you know, we want to put out what we want to cook and then people, some people don't like it or, you know, nowadays it's tough. It exactly. Is. I, you know, especially like I'm, so I'm a, a food person. So my mind is a little bit more open when I go someplace and I get some kind of fusion creation and I'm like, okay, I get that. I got what they were going for and things like that. But if I'm taking family out that may not have the same background as me or the same, you know, understanding of food or the same palate. You know, it is a risk when you go to particular restaurants because you want them to enjoy that evening. They have to have a great time for the night to be perfect. And, you know, Panorama and La Familia and the Saloon are all places you could do that. But, you know, I, I always default to Panorama because of 
for me, the wine experience. And the other two have great wine lists and, you know, things like that. But the wine experience. Yeah, yeah nothing in comparison to our wine list here at Panorama. It's, there, there really isn't. Just on, I mean, we have 120 on tap, and then we have our cellar downstairs, our reserve list, and there's probably another 1,100 bottles down there. Great vintages, and it's 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 insane sometimes. And it it's inspiring, I'm sure, from a culinary end to work with food and do some specials that can blend into that. Do you ever just go down and, as you're thinking about doing something, say, "Wow, what can I create that's going to go really well with this?" Yeah, we the Will Arsam here and our general manager, he's he's constantly pulling bottles up and letting us taste things and like this could work with this and we should try this. So we go back, we we go back a lot back and forth with things, trying to pair it up. Well, listen, I'll send my number over to you. So when he's pulling bottles out of the basement, you can call me. I'll come down and sit with you and then you, you know, <laughs> in, in a heartbeat. We also, we also offer a wine class here on, at the, the end of the month on every month, every, the last Sunday of every month. It's, it's a great class. You come, you get to learn about it, you get to taste things, and it's a good experience. I'm very glad because I actually forgot about that, and I'm very glad you pointed that out. So being other things that you do, what, if anything, do we have coming up for the holidays that – uh you know, we, we could be looking forward to is another reason to get out the panorama when people are heading down into the city and doing the market and things like that. Do you have anything going on for the season? As of right now, no, we have a ton of holiday holiday parties coming up with the next few weeks with Christmas and all a lot of corporate events. You know, I mean, it's, it gets a little hectic this time of year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm in the catering and events industry. I understand I have a, a week full of parties ahead of me and, and doing all that. And, you know, for you to be, you know, producing that quality of Italian food in multiple courses and, you know, you carry that right over a lot of places, you know, will have, okay, this is my restaurant menu, but this is my catering menu. The, the two don't blend together. And that's not the case at Panorama. You know, you carry over what you do into, you know, large groups. And that's not an easy transition to do. Um, so it says a lot about the chefs that you have working for you and your talent in doing that. Um, as well, you you do custom menus for a lot of your catering events, if I'm correct, as well, correct? Yes. Yeah, we offer a, we offer three different catering menus. We offer a wine tasting menu. We offer uh, just like a banquet menu, hors d'oeuvre menus, cocktail party menu. We have, we have, I think, about six or seven types, different types of menus that we offer, depending on the event that you want to have. So when we get into cooking Italian food, uh, you know, obviously we have, you know, regions where we have very high in, in meats. We have fish. We have obviously the fresh pastas and stuff. What are some of your favorite things to make? My favorite. I love, I love cooking pasta. I could eat pasta every day. Yeah. You and me both, but my waistline wouldn't agree with that too often. <laughs> Well, they, they say that that's not true anymore. That's like an old wives' tale that the, the pasta is bad for you. I never said it was bad for you. I just said, <laughs> you know, I eat so much of it that it's, you know, see, because if something's good, I don't necessarily want to stop. You know, it's, you know, and as you know, as Italians and growing up and, and things like that, you know, that I'm not Italian, but the friends I have, you know, you, you go to their house for Christmas and the wife or grandmother is making, you know, Oh, you just stopped over for dinner. Here, let me make a lasagna and some Seven meat. Seven courses come out, yep. Yeah, and it's like, oh, okay. I just was really, like, hoping for, like, a couple pieces of cheese and, you know, and, and a little charcuterie. Uh, you know, nine courses later, you yeah. know, that is that is what uh, 
you know, Italian food is, but that hospitality is a fabulous thing. My kids laugh. I, I do the Feast of the Seven Fishes at my house every year. My favorite um, of the year. For, for them. And, you know, they were like, uh, Dad, it's the Feast of the Seven Fishes. You have 16. I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know where to stop, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, you know? And and uh, I actually combined Mayan with, there's a um, a Polish tradition um, called Kuchi or Kuchia. Um, and it's a fish, it's a, you know, meatless dinner. And I do mine so i i combined the two together that's where we get so many of them um doing that but yes it's a it's a fabulous so do you do the feast of the seven fishes at your house or any of those courses at the restaurant we i we go i go to my aunt's house every year for it every christmas eve we've been doing it as long as it's born you know there there's a i i encourage you this christmas season and our listeners there's a movie you can get i believe it's on amazon prime it might be netflix netflix it's called the feast and it's actually filmed out in Pittsburgh in their Italian, in their little Italy out there. And it's about, you know, the 1960s, 70s, maybe even 80s. But, you know, growing up in, in a very working class Italian neighborhood, but about the value of the feast and what it's all about. And it's introducing somebody who's not from that. It would be like taking somebody from the main line and bringing them to South Philadelphia for the feast. And that's kind of what the movie is based on. Watch this. You'll be uh, truly, truly inspired by it. It's it's a fabulous movie. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not like we're eating lobsters and langostinos. I mean, it's, it's literally you're taking cheap cuts of fish and smelts and you're taking inexpensive products and turn it into literally a feast. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and, and of course, you know, everybody's going to have, you know, the cuttlefish or the squid and, yeah. and you know, the, those dishes. Baccalab. Yeah, but bacala, which is, okay. Let's take one of the worst products on the face of the <laughs> earth and make it delicious. But yep. it takes so much love and so, so, days, so much yeah. effort into, you know, soaking it and draining the water and doing all that. And, you know, the process of it all, you know, doing that. Um, so that being said, what other wonderful Italian things do you like to, you know, inspire yourself with come the holidays? Honestly, the, the, the pastries. The Christmas cookies are probably one of my favorite things of the year. Pizzelles, I could eat a million of them. Yes, I, I'm actually going to make a batch this evening. So, then some over. As we uh, as we wind down here, we're down to our last minute of talking about Italian food. Tell our listeners out there where to find information about Panorama, um, about the wine classes, about you know the catering and everything that goes with it. Everything's available on our website, our Instagram. It's all Panorama Wine Bar. You know, we're, we're all over social media. Yes, you truly are. And located in the heart of Old City, uh, what a, you know, an, an amazing establishment. And if you have out-of-town guests coming, inquiring about staying right there, uh, you know, what a wonderful opportunity for people if you need to put people up. Um, and also for good corporate meetings and, and, you know, special events. The spaces there at Panorama are absolutely fabulous. Uh, you know, as I said, I've been here many times for many different corporations. Most of them have been in pharmaceutical or things like that. And every time that I get asked to come down and do a corporate team building at Panorama, uh, I will make that work on my schedule because I know the food is going to be absolutely amazing. And right now with the hotel, we partnered up. We're actually offering a dine and stay package. So you can book a night, you get a free dinner, a three course dinner included in your in your stay. 
We also have the wine cellar downstairs available for private events. We have two other private event rooms plus the corporate rooms upstairs. Ton of space. I love I love that uh, that stay die to stay program because I think that that's what a great night to spend in the city of Philadelphia to take a show, have dinner at Panorama, spend great the night day. in the city. Absolutely. Especially being a block, a block away from Penn's Landing. They just put the Christmas tree up the other night, had the fireworks. It's, I mean, it's obviously around here. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing uh, Panorama with our listeners. Uh, I can't say enough about the, you know, establishment. It is certainly one of my favorite places to go in the city of Philadelphia. I appreciate um, it. And, uh, you know, thank you. And, and I have been to your establishment since you've been the executive chef. Trust me, there, there was never a beat missed. So I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you soon. Talk to you. Thank you. Have a good one. And we will be right back after this short break. Join us on Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible with co-hosts Gene Blum and Amaris Pollock with original episodes that debut every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB 97.5 HD2 and at www.dbam.com and on your smart speaker. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I'm very happy to bring on the chef and owner, co-owner, I should say, of, (laughs) I know, right? Of Rooted Rotisserie in Baltimore, Maryland. Chef Joseph Burton, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. So um, I do know that you have a history in the culinary world and you've worked um, actually under some remarkable names. But um, what what is your history? Did you go to school for for becoming a chef or, you know, did you learn on hand or just a combination? Uh, actually, a little of both. Um, I started off in the house with my aunt. So my aunt was a originally a Baltimore City um, public school principal. And by the time I was born, um, she was retiring. So her, my whole life, I knew her as being retired. And uh, she took up uh, professional baking as a hobby after she uh, retired. <laughs> so um, my mom would drop me off with her in the morning and... Um, uh, we would bake and, you know, make soups and all these sorts of things that um, she would harvest the vegetables from her her gardens that she had. She had uh, three garden plots at Drew Hill Park in Baltimore City. Mm-hmm. Um, so after school, we would go to the garden, weed, pick vegetables, plant plant vegetables, and kind of distribute them through the, uh, throughout the, uh, throughout the uh, family. And um, we would come back to our house and, you know, make soups and things like that from the vegetables that we harvested. So my interest kind of got sparked there. And um, I ended up taking on formal formal education at the University of Maryland, uh, Eastern Shore. Okay. I was a hotel restaurant management major. And, you know, that's, that's where everything kind of started. Um, that's where my basis and love for cooking really, really began. I mean, having, (laughs) I'm going to use some puns in this, but having a history where seeds were planted in in your upbringing, where you have that love and those, you know, amazing memories of cooking alongside of a family member, a loved family member, um, and learning how to do so 
from somebody who you said, you know, was doing that professionally as a hobby um, is, is remarkable too, because then you're learning the various techniques as you're growing up, something that not everyone is privy to. Um, So I'm sure that that added to your education and just your, your base knowledge. So you had a little bit of a leg up over some of your uh, fellow students. Yes, absolutely. It was pretty cool because, um, like you said, by the time I had gotten to hospitality school, um, kind of had a leg up on on everyone. You know, I was familiar with a lot of the terms and techniques, and um, it actually made me one of my chef instructor's favorite students. <laughs> and um, he would kind of um, nurture me on the side. Um, we would have our labs, our daily labs, you know, sometimes two or three labs in one day. And um, he would always ask me, hey, Joe, you know, would you like to stay after class to, you know, learn a little bit more one-on-one? And of course, I always said, yes, I I was always fascinated that he thought that highly of me. And um, he would show me little things on the side, outside of class, and um, put me in a few, you know, cooking competitions. And uh, I really gained a love for, for culinary as a whole. I'm sure you did, especially with um, somebody taking them under your wing, not just actually if you're a family member, but then your your professor as well. Like you really Absolutely. kind of got guided into you. You landed into a career that you were probably meant to be in because it was really? just like angels along the way. <laughs> it just guided me right in. Yeah. Yeah. So along along that path, when when did you meet your wife? Because your wife is the uh, the other co-owner of of uh, Rooted Rotisserie. Yes. Um, so my wife and I actually met um, at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Um, we we were actually in the same major. Um, <laughs> we we met each other in facilities management class. Um, <laughs> She had a regular seat in the class and someone had taken the seat in in the class that day. And uh, I just noticed her looking around, you know, uh, for a seat. And I said, hey, you know, you can you can sit right here. And, you know, we end up getting paired together in a group project. And, you know, we became good friends. And, you know, one thing led to another. And (laughs) here we are married, opening up a restaurant. Exactly. Now, her career path, I know she worked for Marriott. Um, You, I know, have uh, Foreman Wolf's Johnny's Downstairs behind your, like, behind you. And also um, Giada De Laurentiis, her Italian, her, you know, GDL Italian place, Um, which obviously that's the... (laughs) That's a high end. Like that's a, a higher level than both of you have have worked in a high level because Marriott, you know, not to knock Marriott, but Marriott has, you know, exquisite restaurants attached to them, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that from my research, um, some of what sparked this particular concept of your restaurant was your travels to France. Yes. Um. So what was it about the cuisine in there? I mean, aside from the fact that French cuisine is absolutely delicious because it's loaded with uh, butter and fats and just like flavor out on top of flavor um, with the proteins and everything else. And um, But what was it in pro- – like I'm not trying to talk about my love of French cuisine. 
it was basically, um, let's see. So I'm classically French trained. Uh, most of what I learned in hospitality school is of French origin. And um, it's always been a, a love of mine. So as far as I can remember, um, I've been dreaming of going to France. So when I finally started professionally cooking and really, you know, having French food, um, I had the pleasure of working beside a French restaurant that I worked like very closely with. It was uh, a sister restaurant of uh, Johnny's downstairs. It's um, actually, I believe their second concept in the form of the Wolf Company, which is uh, Petite Louise. Um, so I always, you know, would go back and forth, pick the chef's brains there and, you know, come back and, you know, cook American food. <laughs> um, but when we finally got a chance to go to France, like everything really changed for me. You know, like I said, I, I've been cooking French style food for years, uh, learning the techniques for years, but actually being there on the soil, um, like hearing the language spoken, um, seeing how people move day to day, um, seeing just how massive the food scene is there really sparked a lot of joy for me, you know, like France uh, bakes over 75% of their bread locally. I mean, you know, you can go to each place, you know, and get the bread from, from these bakers personally, whereas we're here in the United States, you might not know where it's coming from. You might go to a grocery store, pick up a loaf of bread, go home and eat it, say that was delicious. But in France, you know, you can actually go to each boulangerie or bakery and, you know, get these different styles of bread and even, you know, maybe even meet the baker. So um, having that opportunity to go to France and actually taste the actual authentic food and see what they do really, really sparked a lot of interest in opening a restaurant um, with that French culture as a basis. Um, I can remember my wife and I traveling there um, and we went to the Sunday market in the uh, Bastille area of uh, Paris. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I always, everybody always jokes when I say I'm not the biggest fan of chicken, but I, I really wasn't. And that, I think, stems from the preparation that I've had in the past. Like, you know, um, it really didn't grab me. But, um, <laughs> you know, but when I went to Paris, uh, we walked past the... Um, French style rotisserie and you know number one I was fascinated with the fact that they had a full-on rotisserie under a tent on the street in Paris I thought that was pretty cool you know seeing the birds spin and um I told my wife I said hey let's uh you know try this chicken and she's like really you want chicken out of <laughs> all the things that they have in Paris you want to try a rotisserie chicken so, <laughs> let's try I mean it, it looked great you know the guy cut the chicken with scissors instead of, you know, a knife or a cleaver. So I thought that was pretty cool. They put the chicken in a insulated foil bag instead of, you know, some type of cardboard to go container or plastic box. And uh, I, I just really enjoyed the whole experience. And the line was, you know, down the, down the street. So uh, went back and got this chicken and uh, we ate it in the lobby of the hotel. And when I tell you I had a revelation as <laughs> an understatement i mean it was delicious like i mean never had i had a chicken that was cooked through 
to the bone, you know, like the bones had become tender. It was cooked so well. Hmm. Tender. And, you know, me saying all these things, you would think that that chicken would be dry, but it wasn't. So I'm like, wow, maybe, you know, you know, I've had rotisserie chicken here in Baltimore many, many times and none of it really, you know, did anything for me, you know. Um, so I started like researching French style rotisserie, you know, all of the French style rotisseries that were in New York and Washington, D.C. And um, I realized that we didn't have any of that sort of thing happening here in Baltimore. Um, the closest you could get is, uh, you know, a Peruvian style chicken, which, which people love, um, but it's his own class. Um, so started researching ovens and whatnot. Um, to see how I can make it as authentic as possible and um, the type of oven that would allow me to do that was a Rotisalt France. So I begun searching for this uh, French rotisserie uh, oven called Rotisalt France and I luckily found one in New York. It was a guy selling one in New York. There were only three available wow. sale in the United States, one in New York one in Florida and one in um, Los Angeles. So um, obviously I'm in Baltimore, so I <laughs> gravitated to the one that was in New York and um, I was able to acquire it. And then that's when all the, all of the magic happened, you know, um, started writing recipes, like writing a menu, overall menu for this restaurant based around that oven. And, um, it's really a fascinating thing. I mean, every day is, is still different. I still learn something new about French style rotisserie every day I come into the kitchen. So it's, it's really a beautiful thing. And people have thoroughly enjoyed it in Baltimore so far. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit. Um, Not just, I mean, obviously, that's deeply rooted, no pun intended, but deeply rooted yeah, yeah, yeah. in, in what, you, what you offer, obviously. Um, but what are some of the other menu items that you have come up with and for, for people who come to visit? Okay, sure. Um, so one of my favorite dishes on the menu, might sound a little funny, but uh, one of my favorite dishes on the menu is a vegetable. Um, I've done uh, a broccoli au gratin. Okay. Um, so what that is, is... Um, I take in blanch uh, broccoli, broccoli florets in salted water. Uh, once I blanch them in salted water, I toss them in a Calabrian uh, dr chili dressing. Um, has, you know, shallots, Calabrian chili, rosemary thyme, salt, good bit of olive oil, black pepper. And um, I toss that broccoli in that mixture. Then I coat it with a Parmesan bechamel okay. uh, sauce. Uh, which is really rich, really fatty, really cheesy. I was going to uh, say, that's a wild um, difference of, of yeah, that, flavor profiles, I feel like. And this is, and I forgot to add, to add it has uh, lemon zest in that uh, chili mixture also. Then um, I top that whole thing with um, toasted panko that's been tossed in olive oil. And I mean, the dish is, it's really perfect, you know. I'm not just trying to cheat my own horn, but it's, it really works. You know, it's my play on broccoli and cheese. I feel like broccoli always kind of gets left out, left behind. Either, you know, you, you're steaming it, sprinkle a little salt on it, or steaming it, drizzling it with butter and maybe a squeeze of lemon. 
but I really wanted to kind of transform it and, you know, take it to the next level. And every time someone orders it, the feedback is always that they weren't expecting that. Yeah. And, and, uh, especially, you know, I, I feel like, especially with the the spicy kick, it probably surprises a lot of people's palates. Yeah, yeah. surprises them. You know, it's a Calabrian chili. Um, so it's it's got a bit of a kick to it, but it's, it's more fruity than anything. So it's, it's really like, you know, a flavor people haven't really experienced too often, you know, unless you've come across it at some point in time. Um, but um, that's uh, that's one of my number one favorite dishes here. But um, other than that, I have a duck confit on the menu that is uh, very classic French. Um, it's a dish that is really, really close to my heart. I love everything about it. Um, when we're in Paris, uh, I try not to eat it as a meal uh, for the duration of time we're there, but <laughs> it's kind of hard not to. But um, we have that. We we serve it with a um, a kale Caesar. Okay. Uh, uh, Latticino kale Caesar, um, toasted brioche, um, uh, croutons, good Parmesan cheese. And um, potato au gratin, which again um, you get your your carbs in the that yeah. like gooey cheesy kind of uh, filling, and yes. I mean for French foods that's very comforting. Yeah, um, very comforting. Yeah, and a lot of butter, a lot of fat, of course, which means it tastes really good. It's not exactly healthy, but it's gonna taste amazing. Yes, yes, <laughs> and, and I. You- yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I was going to say, we only have a couple of minutes left. So I just wanted to try to go over, you know, the fact that you guys have offer like small plates and, you know, whereas then there's shareables or larger plates um, in your restaurant and, you know, just like some of the available hours because, you know, that you're open just because I know most restaurants kind of have their day off on Mondays. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. what when's your availability and, you know, what what can people look forward to, you know, for the holiday season? Okay, yeah. So we're we're open uh from Wednesday through Sunday from 4 p.m. until 9 p.m. We're located at 1116 Holland Street in Baltimore, Maryland. Um we like to uh call ourselves a family-style restaurant. Um the restaurant is is created to feel like a my my family's living room or dining room growing up. So we wanted to feel like you're right at home. So um, a lot of people get that from walking through the doors, a lot of personal touches, family photos and things like that. So uh, everything here is shareable, um, except for, I mean, the large plates are shareable if, you, if you're willing to, but um, if you come in and want to get whole chicken size, things like that, create a whole spread on the table and feed four people comfortably, that's what we that's what we uh do here um and you can also find um photos of food on our instagram page which is uh rooted rotisserie also on our website uh rootedrotisserie.com um so as far as the um holiday season we do have something very special uh planned that we haven't really released information on yet but we're planning on doing a brunch, a Christmas Eve brunch. And I'm just pulling out all of the stops. So 
if you guys are in Baltimore, Christmas Eve, you know, want to catch some brunch, this is the place to be. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And I will hopefully get a chance to check out your restaurant. Yes, I would love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And on that note, everyone have a lovely Tuesday evening and just join us every single week for a new episode of Food Farms and Chefs. To listen to the rest of Food Farms and Chefs, tune your HD radio to 97.5 WPEN HD2 or stream live from WWDBAM.com.